Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today, I uh, welcome to the Core Principles Podcast a true Renaissance woman. She's a vocalist, an actress on stage and on screen, a producer, director. She is forever Miss Kentucky. And most importantly, she is my sister in Christ and my dear friend, Jenna Day. How are you, Jenna? I'm doing so well. Thank you for that intro. You make me feel very special. It's really cool to be here. And it's kind of exciting. You've started this podcast because I know this was just something you were talking about. And what I think is really cool about you is I hear people talk about their ideas, their dreams, their goals, the things they want to do all the time. And usually, I'm going to say 90% of the time, people don't get around to doing those things. But I was so excited when you messaged me and told me that you had started the podcast because you had the idea, you conceived it, and you did it. And I think that's so cool. It's such a rare trait, that trait of follow through. It's such a beautiful thing. So I'm excited. And what a timely season we are in for people to reflect on core principles. Oh, thank you for that. Can you see the logo on my shirt, Jenna? Oh, yes, I see. It says Portland Christian School, which that's how we met. We met at a Portland Christian School event. That's so awesome. When we met at that event, you were the MC and uh, you sang Amazing Grace. And I thought, I need to meet her. I appreciate excellence in, in anything. And you sang with excellence. I don't even have to understand. I mean, I understand Amazing Grace, but I don't even have to understand the endeavor to appreciate excellence. For example, I have no concept about opera, but I'm a huge fan of someone I think may be one of your mentors, Dr. Everett McCorvey, because he's awesome. Yes, he is so wonderful and has done so much for arts in Kentucky and arts in Lexington. He is just as talented as he is. He's an even better human being. So I was very lucky to be under his mentorship. What got you started in performing arts, Jenna? Goodness. I I feel like whenever there was an elevated platform when I was young, whether it was a fireplace or a stump in the backyard, like I would just jump up there and that was my stage. So from a very young age, I loved performing. I loved putting on shows. My sister and I used to put together plays and scenes and um, dance, and we would make up dances and ballets and we would perform them in my grandmother's basement. I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to make a career in the entertainment industry, but right around the time you met me, which was um, just the year after I had given up my title as Miss Kentucky and you know, I was going back to school to finish my degree, which was in political science at the University of Kentucky. And, and that was kind of the time period where I was making a shift from, okay, am I going to be a lawyer or a political staffer, or am I going to do this thing that's always been sort of that nagging thing that I had to have the bravery, brave to be brave enough to admit that I wanted to go and do. That was the year where I was really making that decision. So it happens then, based on what you just told me, that that I encountered you for the first time at a very good time because I asked you a completely outrageous question. Would you come across the state and for free uh, work on a zero budget movie project with me, which you did and blew my mind and everyone who saw it. It's like, how did that happen? It was great timing 
for me too, because, you know, I had done a lot of theater and a lot of shows, but I, I was always drawn to, to potentially being in film, but I didn't know like anything about film acting whatsoever. So when we filmed the 48 hour film festival picture that we put together, the muse, that was the first I'd ever acted on film other than saying like one word in a movie that I lucked into getting a part. And that whole experience was such uh, a good one for many reasons, because it was such a collaborative environment and you were great. And the whole team just was so kind and helpful and uplifting, but it was really one of those um, seminal moments for me. Hey, wait a second. I know acting and it translates for film. I can be an actor for film. And, and that experience really made me believe that I could. So I'm very thankful that we had that experience together. It was definitely a God thing. That's for sure. And I tell people that you wrote the entire script in your head, walking from where we got our assignment to where we worked on the, uh, the brainstorming. And they're like, no way, but it actually happened that way. And I did. <laughs> I can tell you that you're still inspiring people by what you did there because one of our participants there is a teacher at the School of Art and Design. And she told me just how amazed she was at, at what you did in that brainstorming meeting. She's the one that painted the portrait for you. Yes. Anyway, I wanted to ask you also, you have been involved in a lot of these different parts of entertainment. Is there a particular aspect now that you've done different things that you most enjoy? I enjoy a lot of different aspects, but... My career is mainly focused on on acting as of now. Now ask me that in 20 years and you might get a different answer. But I really, really enjoy um, digging into a character, getting under the skin of that character and collaborating with other artists. And so for me, acting is so fun. Directing's fun too, but I'd like to get a lot more experience before I, I try to go that route. I'd like to get a lot more acting experience where I can observe some great directors. Um, but yeah, I think for me, acting's the biggie. I'm obviously still singing. That's very much a part of my heart as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm focusing my time and efforts for now. When people receive something that you have uh, created or participated in, they watch it, they hear it. Uh, this is a question that I've asked other creative people I'm very interested in in your take on this. We can think about it for a moment because it's it's not a trick question, but it's not as straightforward as it might sound. Is it more important to you as the creator of this art that the audience have a certain reaction that they really understand what you are communicating? Or is it more important to you that whatever it was you actually had in mind to say and to communicate, you really did say and communicate, whether they get it now or later? Mm, that's a tough one. Yes, it is. Um, because I feel like if I've done my job as a storyteller, then there is no ambiguity. Like if I've really done my job and I've really, and I really understand what that story is and every single moment plays to that story and every single choice plays to that story, then at the end of the day, I really don't think there will be that much ambiguity. I like that answer. Just uh, heads up, uh, one of my favorite directors, David Lynch, will not be hiring you for his next project because he's <laughs> all about the obscure. But uh, anyway, I, I appreciate that answer. And I, I agree that, you know, you can you can close that gap by doing a great job. Um, now, when you left Kentucky for Southern California. Uh, you're out there now in the heart of the motion picture industry. And a lot of us outside of that area 
have preconceptions in our minds about what it is like out there. And I don't just mean the sun and the trees. Did you have such ideas when you first moved? And if so, how has your reality out there compared with your initial ideas? I didn't really know too much of what to expect um, in terms of Los Angeles. I knew it would be hard, and it was. I don't think I anticipated how grody Los Angeles can be (laughs) until I lived here. And I'm like, dang, there's another level of humaning that's happening here and I'm not on it. Um, (laughs) Or at least I don't want to be. But in terms of the entertainment industry, I didn't have a lot of expectations. You have to basically prove that you can do what they're asking you to do before they ask you to do it. And then they'll ask you to do it or maybe not do it, but audition to maybe be able to do it. So um, it takes a lot of proactive work if someone is wanting to break into the industry. Um, And that proactive work means you're in a classroom. You're always learning. That proactive work means you're taking on jobs that maybe aren't super glamorous, but you're doing it to support your dream. If you're an actor, you can write your own scenes, film, direct them, put them together, compile a reel for yourself. Um, There's a lot of things that you can do. And I think that that's something that I've learned I've had to do in order to make my way in this industry. And for the people who think that they're just going to, quote, get discovered, that's just not the case. Amazing opportunities can happen, but you have to be ridiculously prepared. But it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of faith in all other industries. You put in a certain number of hours, you do X, Y, and Z, and eventually you'll get promoted. Usually, you know, like there's kind of an algorithm to success in many industries. In the entertainment industry, there is no algorithm. Here's a a preconception that I had. And you can tell me whether I'm uh, correct or incorrect about this. I perceive about Los Angeles and particularly the entertainment industry that it is extremely competitive and the kind of competition amongst who would be potential coworkers that says implicitly, you must fail that I may succeed. Is that fair? Or is that off base? No. Yeah. I I wouldn't, I don't get that energy from people here um, because I think almost every single person here has failed and there's a little bit of respect once you have. Like when I filmed my first short film, uh, which, you know, I, I go back and I watch it now and there's moments that I'm proud of and there's moments where I cringe because I'm like, oh, I could have been so much better. But you know what? It was my first learning experience. But the thing that I noticed about that is not only did that get me work and get me auditions just because I did it, it also gave me like a weird amount of respect and clout among my friends who were filmmakers because all of the sudden I had crossed a threshold and I no longer was just like kind of um, just an actress, like be bopping around here, you know, um, dressed in a cute outfit. I had crossed into the threshold of I'm creating art. I am an artist. And even though they may have had like a lot of notes and things that they would have changed in a shot, they would have filmed differently. And, you know, there was a respect that the attempt was made. 
So I actually find Los Angeles to be an extraordinarily collaborative environment. Um, sometimes it can be a little, the people can be a little flighty. Like it's hard to like nail someone down. Like, will you show up here at this time? The answer is yes, unless something better comes up. And, and that's kind of what you'll find in the industry. That's the tough part of the industry is, um, people are very busy. People are willing to help, but they're also very busy. And, and then there's the other element too, where you can only receive help from people until you've gotten to a certain point of working for yourself. So until like I could meet Steven Spielberg tomorrow and do a monologue for him and he could think, wow, isn't she brilliant? And I don't think it would really help my career <laughs> because I don't have any credits, you know, like, and so like, there's a certain amount of like, um, of footage and credits and things that you need under your belt before you're even like, <laughs> I think he would just be like, wow, keep it up girl. And then just walk away. Like, even if it was the best monologue you'd ever seen, because there's just that element of you have to work for yourself first. And then once you like level up, there's like different levels that you get to as you achieve the next thing, then that person might be able to help you a little bit more. So you have to be Bill Murray in the movie Tootsie, where he's going to raise $9,000 to produce his own play about people who move back to Love Canal and nobody wants to go. And he says, I want this theater that's only open when it's raining so that people will come out and they're alive <laughs> on the planet when they see my show. So I get that. That's awesome. All right, so this uh, podcast is called Core Principles, and therefore uh, we get to the the question that I have to ask a, a woman of great principles like yourself when you're in Los Angeles and in the movie business. Uh, there is a stereotype that a lot of us who are outside and ignorant of Los Angeles at large have that there's significant pressure to compromise principles to succeed in motion picture production. Is it justified, that stereotype? Is it misplaced? Can you give us encouragement that it's not as bad as the uh, Entertainment Tonight or whatever would show us? It's not as bad as Entertainment Tonight will show you. It really isn't. Um, I have passed on audition opportunities because I'm not comfortable with the content. Um, so yes, there will be certain opportunities that if you like me or a woman of faith and you don't want to do certain things like nudity or um, you don't want to say the Lord's name in vain, or you, I'm just like throwing a few things out that like are on my list of like, I won't do. Well, the beautiful thing is the Lord's put some good people around me. My manager is a Christian as well. And in our first conversation together, we talked about that. He actually asked, well, what are some things you don't want to do in film? And we talked about that and we got on the same page um, with everything. And we really understood each other. And he was just like, okay, I'm not going to submit you for something that I know has this in it or would require you to do something you're not comfortable with. And he also said, and if there's a moment on set where you feel like you're being pressured to do something, you just call me and then I'll call them and I'll be the bad guy. So I think that it definitely happens. There are definitely moments where you have to put your foot down and say no, or say you're not comfortable with that. I think that there are some women who come out into the industry and if they aren't confident and they don't, if they're not solid in who they are as Christians and as, as daughters of God, I think there's definitely some pressure and some, some temptation to cave or to settle or to do something maybe you're not quite comfortable with. And 
and they may not say anything and they may go ahead and do it because they're nervous that if they speak up, they'll be blacklisted. But that's just, it's not the case. People want to make sure people are comfortable. A lot of people in in sports and entertainment eschew the idea of being a role model, but you participated in the Miss America activities. And I think when you did that, you chose deliberately to be a role model. People look up to you, particularly young women look up to you and others who go through that experience. And so what kind of advice do you or will you be giving young women who say, I'm, I'm interested in pursuing these kind of things that you've pursued. I need someone to tell me, here's the pitfalls, here's the, the advice. I would say always have the bravery to make a bold move. That would be number one. You'll never feel prepared enough, evolved enough, confident enough, whatever enough to like go do the brave thing. You have to kind of go do the brave thing if that's moving to New York or moving to LA or signing up for your school play or whatever it could be. Like you're going to be nervous while you're doing it. I mean, that was definitely me. It was a very difficult move. It's been a very difficult few years. There's been challenges. There's been low points. There's been high points. And you have to just be brave and make the move. Once you've made the move, you have to work hard, very hard. And always be a lifelong learner, too. You know, you should always be in a classroom. You should always be trying to improve your craft. And the third thing I would say is think about yourself as an artist an artist, a true artist that produces art, not just a piece of furniture that some director's plugging into the background of his shot that has two lines. You are an artist. Now that day, you might be that piece of furniture in the background, like that that might be your role, but you should always approach every single role and opportunity with um, professionalism, with dignity, with integrity, and and with craft, with a lot of craft, and make the most of every opportunity. And fourth and finally, you have to know who you are as a child of God, and your dream should never be your God. God should be your God. As soon as your dreams are God, like you're going to get bulldozed over by this industry your worth will be dependent on what a casting director might have said about you or whether or not this agent wanted to represent you. Like you will, you will have no self-worth if you put all of your worth in your dream. You have to know who you are outside of this dream. And that if for some reason your career evaporated tomorrow, you would still be fine. God would love you the same. You would praise him the same. And you would still go on to do incredible things on this planet. That is the attitude which you should have before you even enter the industry. And once you know that God's your God, then who cares if there's a jerk director who wants you to take your shirt off on set? Like, he's not your God. He doesn't, he's not your slave master. He's not going to tell you what to do. You're going to stick to your core principles because God is your God. I hope that people will receive that wise counsel from you and, and understand it uh, and internalize it and know it. So you have a, a YouTube channel and a project called Spiritual Hall, H-A-U-L, mm -hmm. and you have been asking people a, a simple but essential question. And so now, of course, Jenna Day, I am going to ask you 
that mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Why do you love God? I love God because he sees me and he still loves me at the end of the day. There's very few people on this planet that know like everything there is to know about me, the good, the bad, the the high moments, the low. It's just a very small group of people. But someone who knows me even greater than those people is Jesus Christ, who is the God who sees me and who, despite everything, loves me. And I have experienced that love when I've been doing great. And I've experienced that love when I've been more of the prodigal son. And it's the same love that greets me. And it's the same love that evaporates all my fears, which led me by the nose for way too long in my life. And he's liberated me from that. And so he's my savior. He's my liberator. And he's my king. Amen. I'm uh, encouraged by those words, and I hope others are too, because we're living in a time right now where fear is gripping a lot of people. And very sadly, I, I lost a friend to fear. I haven't lost anyone yet close to me to this virus, but I have lost someone to fear, and it, it uh, really breaks my heart. So last question, I wanted to talk about what's going on out there now uh, for you. I know that you just were uh, safe set certified, meaning that you can work through this pandemic on any sets where they're going to be making productions. Do you have any projects coming up? Are there things happening out there or is the governor and the mayor shut it all down? So as of now, I still have some projects uh, on the horizon. I Next weekend, I'm filming a music video. I'm in it. So I'm not like behind the camera. And then the following week, I am the assistant director on an infomercial set. It's going to be really slow in terms of production for the remainder of 2020. But I anticipate that 2021 is going to be one of the busiest production years of all time because everything that was scheduled to film in 2020 will be filming in 2021. And everything that was scheduled to film in 2021 will still be filming in 2021. So there's going to be a lot of crew and a lot of cast that are double booked, um, a lot of new opportunities for new talent. But that talent's got to be ready to meet those opportunities. So coming full circle, um, my plan is to get all of my sales materials and branding work and um, stuff that I need to do as an actor really, really solid, really ready so that when 2021 hits, I can just crush those auditions. And I think that like, if I can close this out and just say to all the people listening, we're going to be okay. And we get to choose the type of people we're going to be when we come out of this. It is a trying time. It's not been an easy year for anyone. But if we can together reassure ourselves that God is in control and that all things work out for the good of those who love him, then we can take a breather and realize that we don't have to be led around by the notes by fear. We can be fear-free, worry-free and just existing and abounding in his love. It's unfortunate for you guys that it's audio only because Jenna Day 
acted out the being led around by the nose. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> and, and that was quite hilarious. Anyway, Jenna Day, thank you so much for sharing this time with me. Uh, I'm glad you made it safely back out there. And, uh, you know, I just am cheering you on. Uh, all of us here in your home state love you and are with you. Oh, thank you so much. And good luck to you. Thank you for starting this podcast. My prayer and hope for it is that it truly reminds people to come back to what's really important and reminds people that holding true to those core values and core principles um, will get them through some tough times. Now it's time for our special historical segment, featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied. On the 28th of July, 1932, in the midst of the Great Depression, 10,000 veterans of the First World War gathered near the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Another 10,000 people, mostly wives and children of the veterans, gathered on the other side of the Anacostia River. The veterans were there to petition the government for a redress of a very specific grievance. They had been promised bonus pay for their service in World War I, and they had never gotten it. The amount promised was $1.25 per day overseas and $1 per day of active duty service in the United States. Congress balked, failing to pass the legislation authorizing the promised payments. The veterans stayed for days, and the situation grew more tense. Violence erupted, and two of the vets were shot. The betrayal of these veterans included even the current active duty army forming against them to disperse them. Rudyard Kipling wrote, God and the soldier we adore in time of peril, not before. The peril ended and all things righted, God is forgotten and the soldier slighted. But God treats us differently than we treat one another. God always keeps his promises. We should always put trust in him. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.